Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. Hello, everyone. We're back in Leviticus. We're looking at chapters 6 and 7. And if you're like me, Leviticus has never been a book I've gravitated to. Leviticus has never been a book I've really uh, understood as much because it was a lot of rules and regulations about sacrificing things and um, never really understood some of that. Um, But one of the things that we're learning here, the most costly offering ever given was Christ um, something is personal, something that it's in your possession, and this was God's only Son. It was something personal. It was His possession. It was something pure, and it was something valuable. And this is um, a book about how uh, these offerings are to be are to be. Um, used in worship, the, the word Leviticus, the name, um, has been translated things concerning the Levites. These are things concerning the priests that are um, carrying out the worship. Just like in Exodus, we, the focus was building the temple. Leviticus is sort of carrying out the worship that goes into the temple. And so, you know, we're looking, uh, we've been looking at kinds of offerings, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. And the first three, the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the peace offering, as McGee teaches, look towards the nature of Christ as the ultimate offering. They point to Christ, and the sin offering and the guilt offering point to more the work of Christ on the cross that we see. So we see a lot of parallels here, and I have to, uh, you know, admit, um, at first glance, I'm only just beginning to appreciate how deep uh, the Scriptures go into what these offerings are supposed to do. They're supposed to focus our heart on uh, what the offering is supposed to represent to God. It represents first that we are nowhere near um, being able to be acceptable to God. And so th- these offerings are to symbolize our hearts, 
where our hearts need to be when we make an offering to God, when we ask our forgiveness to God, it shows you, I think, at just first glance, it shows us how far separated we are from God. Because literally, you've got to have priests making offerings continuously for the people um, just to show their utter dependence on God. Now, at first glance, it shows you how f- separated we are from God, and it's in at, at another glance, it just shows you, shows you how futile it is because it's a non-sustainable model. After a while, you're going to ru- run out of animals to sacrifice or wood to make a fire, or you're going to run out of priests or people to be able to do it. You know, to make all these uh, this worshiping uh, process work, and after that runs out, then where are you? And so that's what it looks like. And it it could have been a source of frustration. It could have been a source of despondency. It could have been a source of uh, temptation to look at a worship that is less cumbersome. But um, in any event, that's why we get a picture of how perfect um, a sacrifice Jesus Christ is for us. So we got we got two chapters today. We're going to hit the high points because, quite frankly, I don't feel skilled enough to dissect out all of the intricacies of these verses. But I'm, I think the thing that I see is that always pointing to Christ is what we need to to grasp initially from these. From these readings. So let's jump in. Chapter 6, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security, or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor, or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all the things that people do. And sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or lost the thing he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it to full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. Verse 6, And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. Okay, so it goes into a whole bunch of things like if you've, committed any kind of thing against someone, deceiving, lying, robbery, oppression, swearing falsely, getting some ill-gotten gain, and you realize you've done it, even if you didn't understand it when you did it to begin with, but then later you realized whether it was a, you know, you did it on purpose or you did it by accident, you're still responsible for the sin, knowingly or unknowingly, the sin. And this is making the point here 
that it's not just a sin between you and God. Yes, it is. But it's also a sin between you and your neighbor, you and your fellow man. And it's not all about you sitting in your closet praying to God, asking for forgiveness. It's making for making restitution with your neighbor that you wronged knowingly or unknowingly. That's what that's the burden of sin. And so once you do that, the high priest will make atonement. And remember, Christ is our high priest. So it's a model of how we are to be forgiven. But it's sort of symbol symbolically displayed in the sacrifice of these of this animal. Okay. Verse 8. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth of the altar all night until morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and put his linen garment undergarment on his body, and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar, and then he shall take off his garments and then put on the other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it and shall burn it on, uh, burn on it the fat and the peace offerings." The fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It will, shall not go out. So this burnt offering and peace offerings, these are people's petitions to, to the Lord. And this fire will never go out. And it's like the fire, it's like the relationship with Christ will never go out. But you're going to have to have someone petitioning God to make atonement, and that is Christ. And, and just look what has to happen all the time. It should never go out. It never goes out. So this is what these priests have to do to keep this fire burning. And the ashes of this, of this burnt offering need to be taken outside and put out into a clean place so that the altar remains pure. It's an all-consuming fire. And the and the the any of the remnants of sinful man or of this burnt offering of the ashes are to take are to be taken outside. So verse 14, and this is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it before uh, the Lord in front of the altar. And we drop down a little bit of this. It shall be eaten unleavened in a holy place in the court of the tent of meeting. They shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my food offerings. It is a thing most holy, like the sin offering and the guilt offering. Okay, so they're eating this grain offering of unleavened bread. And, and again, McGee's taught that the leaven has always referenced sin. 
So you don't want to put leaven in the bread because the the um, the leaven, a little bit of leaven causes all the bread to change, to rise. And it that's just like a little bit of sin can cause all of us to change. And so they use that that uh, symbol to talk about don't put the leaven in the bread. And remember when the when the Israelites left Egypt, Moses took them out. They took their bread and they didn't even put leaven in it because they were leaving so quickly. So it's a symbolism back to the times of being enslaved in Egypt and being freed from their slave. Don't don't make time to let your bread rise. It's time to move. And so they left with unleavened bread. They ate unleavened bread, symbolizing not only that, but also no sin. But look where McGee makes the point. Look, then you drop down to verse 19. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is the offering that Aaron and his son shall offer to the Lord on the day when he is anointed, a tenth of the epoth of fine flour as a regular grain offering, half of it in the morning and half in the evening. It shall be made with oil on a griddle. You shall bring it well mixed in baked pieces like a grain offering and offer it for pleasing aroma to the Lord. Okay, so this looks like it's baked with flour. It's going to be baked with the le- maybe some leaven in it. And McGee says that that is... In one picture, we get the unleavened bread being sinless before Christ. And then after that, we see bread with with flour in it with leaven in it that we can approach Christ it's like now we have a picture that we can even in our imperfectness we can approach Christ because of Christ's sacrifice Christ is the unleavened bread for us. Okay, so verse 24, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons. This is the law of the sin offering in the place where the burnt offering is killed shall be the sin offering be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priests who offers it for sin shall eat it in a holy place. It shall be eaten in the court of the tent of meeting. Whatever touches its flesh shall be holy. And when any of its blood is splashed on the garment, you shall wash that on which is splashed in the holy place. Okay, so again, the law of the sin offering shall be given here. And um, But no sin offering, verse 30, shall be eaten from which any blood is brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place. It shall be burnt up with fire. So it talks about the importance of the blood not being eaten. Talking about, it points to the blood of Christ, which is really the most holy of all. And it talks about how holy that blood is. Verse 7, this is the law of the guilt offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the guilt offering. So they would put, you know, Christ puts sin up on the cross as a sin offering. He puts the guilt of man up on the cross. Where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the, the guilt offering. So the same cross, the same altar, the guilt and the sin.
they kill the guilt offering. And his blood shall be thrown against the sides of the altar, and all its fat shall be offered. The fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, and at the loins and the long lobe of the liver. It talks about the different organs here. The guilt offering is just like the sin offering offering. There's one law for them. The priest who makes atonement with them shall have it. So this is this is again a picture of Christ. His body is the offering for the guilt and the sin. Verse 11, and this is the law of the sacrifice of the peace offering that one may offer to the Lord if he offers it for thanksgiving. He shall offer it with the thanksgiving sacrifice, unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour mixed well with oil. So they're, they're showing that the sacrifice of the peace offerings, there are laws concerning that, which we don't have time to go into, but it's just it speaks to this peace that we get through Christ. It's the only way. And again, this peace offering, you have unleavened loaves, and it looks like you have leavened loaves. And the unleavened loaves represent the, the, the sinless nature of Christ. And the leaven represents that we, even in our sinful natures, can approach Christ at this altar. And we'll drop down to verse 29. Whoever offers the sacrifice of his peace offerings to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offering. His own hands shall bring the Lord's food offerings. He shall bring the fat with the beast, that the breast may be, excuse me, the fat with the breast, that the breast may be waved as an as a wave offering before the Lord. It talks about the different parts of the animal. So we drop down to the very end here, at verse 37. This is the law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. So, two chapters, a lot of information here, but I think as we read these, these verses, at least for me, the, what I get from this is, yes, there's a lot of rules and regulations, but yes, there's a lot of symbolism pointing to the, the multidimensional offering of Jesus Christ. He accomplishes once for all in Him a burnt offering, a grain offering, a peace offering, a sin offering, a guilt offering. A burnt offering that underscores the prayers of petition or praise that we have through Christ. He is our high priest. A grain offering, which is a pleasing aroma to God. The peace offering is the fellowship that we have with the Lord having a communion meal. 
The sin offering is the atonement of committed sin, knowingly or unknowingly, which is purification. And this guilt offering, an atonement of committed sin, and a metaphor of compensation for wrongdoing as we acknowledge our guilt. So we're going to stop here. And we'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you're doing great. Look forward to hearing your take on this study today. And from me to all of you, as always, God bless you and keep your hearts centered on Christ.